0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Once again, my name is Christian Jones, pastor and director of Franklin Avenue Mission. It is truly a privilege to be in the Word of the Lord with you this morning. That said, I would encourage you to open up the Word to Matthew chapter 9. If you have a a beautiful burgundy-bound ESV in front of you, uh, I, I did the homework. It's page 813 page 813 for you. And as you're turning there, I just want to give you a, a brief introduction, very brief, of what I do as a missionary at large uh, as uh, in, in Flint, as a member of the, the Michigan District of Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So when we talk about mission, I think uh, many of us, we, we grew up in the church, we've been in the church, and that was that was certainly true of the, the, of the 8 o'clock, and I, I imagine it's probably true here as well. We grew up in the church, and when we hear the word mission, Instantly, What we think of is Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And surely, Jesus says, I will be with you until the end of the age. How many of you have heard that before? Alright, that is indeed, indeed mission work. But what if I told you that is not where mission work begins in scripture? What if I told you that the mission of the church, God's mission, the Missio Dei, if you want to even call it that, what if I told you that's a narrative that spans from Genesis all the way to Revelation? It's rich in the text. Go to the last few chapters of Isaiah. Beautiful, absolutely gorgeous missionary work being done. What if I told you that it didn't start in Matthew chapter 8, but it was even further earlier in the book of Matthew, right here in Matthew chapter 9? Matthew 28, surely a missionary text, but it's not all the mission in Scripture. Matthew 28, it's evangelistic mission work, which is good, which is very much what we do at the mission. But there's other aspects of God's mission as well. And Matthew 28, that's the the great commission where the church is sent out to evangelize and baptize the world. But just as much as that's the great commission, Matthew chapter 9, which we read today, is the great compassion. I want you to say compassion with me. Compassion. A little bit louder compassion. Compassion is what we are talking about when we talk about mission work through the lens of Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to see vignette, vignette, scene after scene of compassionate mission work Jesus is doing through all the towns and villages, person by person, group by group. Join with me, 813. First thing that happens, Jesus gets off the boat. And some people bring out a mat, a paralytic, before him. With the one hope, with the the one chance that he might be healed. This guy hasn't been able to to move. He's He's been confined to his mat. And this is an instance of hope where Jesus is able to pour compassion onto this gentleman. And he says, get up and go. And he gets up and he's able to walk. That's a type of compassion that the Lord Jesus Christ has on this man. That's an instance of hope that he pours into this man's life. Really into the community's life. To know that their Lord, to know that Jesus, the one who is walking in the streets beside them, has the authority not just to forgive sins, but also to heal. That's one instance of compassion. Scroll forward with me. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9 verse 9 title says, Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew, a pretty important person in a Christian's life, right? If it weren't for Matthew, if it wasn't for this guy getting called, we wouldn't even have this text to go about as we deal in Matthew, the gospel, all right? Jesus calls Matthew, and Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax booth. Ooh, Matthew's a tax collector. I don't know if it's true today, but back then, tax collectors were not people's favorite people, all right? Tax collectors, they were considered evil. They were considered vile. For not only did they go around collecting taxes for Caesar, not only did they collect taxes for Herod, but they would extort people as well. They'd come and they'd take their own cut of people's taxes. They'd charge a little bit more. And they would steal, and they would rob, and they would take, take, take from the people who already had so little. These people were despised. So much so that they were not even welcomed into the community. They were cast to the side, cast to the far edges of community, probably even outside the city gates from time to time. And how do we know this? Look at who the tax collectors are with. Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners. Sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Sinners is a code word, by the way. Sinners in scripture was a polite way of talking about uh, uh, sex workers, trafficked women who were brought in and to, 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 to do their craft there in the city. They were considered ceremonially unclean. They thought if they were brought into the community, they would defile the entire community because of their uncleanliness. And so they were cast out to the side. No one would spend time, no one would talk, no one would care or even show compassion on them. And Jesus, he goes and not only does he talk to them, he sits with them. These tax collectors and sinners. The people to be deemed the lowest on the ladder of all civilization. If they were even on the ladder themselves. Jesus sits. He talks. He spends time. How many of you have ever made a Thanksgiving dinner for somebody? Got a few hands raised. How, how quickly does that happen? It's an all day process, right? Right? You know, maybe, maybe in a day and a half if you're doing all your preparations the day before. It takes time to make a meal from scratch. And back then, every meal was made from scratch. From the beginning to the end. It took time. If you were going to have dinner with someone, it was a time-consuming process. And Jesus, he went into the house, he sat, he reclined, and he ate. He shared a meal with these people. He spent the time. He dedicated the time. By dedicating that amount of time, Jesus was telling those that he was reclining with, you are valuable to me. Even though everyone else might pass you by, even though everyone else might walk right past you, even though no one wants to say that you are important, you are valuable to me. That's compassion. To know that someone is giving you their ear. To know that someone's inviting you to share your life with them. It's compassion. And Jesus does it on full display. Jump down a little bit further. Matthew 9 verse 14. Verse 14, what's happening? The disciples of John the Baptist, they come to Jesus and they're saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast? Jesus has compassion on those who would follow him and call him Lord. I don't know about you, but maybe you've been in a situation before where you're sitting down and you're, you're, you're at a table with other Christians. Maybe you're in a car with other Christians. Maybe maybe you, 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 you share life together with another Christian, and, and maybe it's yourself, honestly. Maybe you, as a follower of Jesus, just think you know a little bit more than everyone else. Has anyone ever met a Christian like that before? I want to ask for a show of hands. I guarantee you have. The disciples of John the Baptist... They know who Jesus was, but they think they know just a little bit more than everyone else. They thought that they were fasting, which made them better Christians than anyone else. They thought because they were abstaining from food at certain parts of the day that they were more blessed and higher favored than others. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing. How come we're fasting and your own disciples aren't? An act of compassion... Or, or maybe a, an old Lutheran word, an act of catechesis, catechizing those who think they know Jesus a little bit better than everybody else. Teaching others about Jesus, right? We're supposed to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. That's compassion. Teaching is compassion. Raising up is compassion. Catechizing is compassion. Compassion. But let's go on. There's so much more. A girl restored to life and a woman healed. After Jesus talks with John's disciples, a father runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, my daughter has died. If you were to come, she might live. And Jesus He follows his father to the house. And as he's on his way following the father, a woman runs up to Jesus and just touches the hem of his garment. And she's been bleeding for 12 months, 12 years, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It's a long time. And she touches the hem and her faith in Jesus Christ. He turns to her and she is healed. An act of compassion. When things seem so important, when things are so important, Jesus still had time to turn to this woman and have compassion on her. When there's something else coming up in our lives, we still have the opportunity to show compassion to others. After that moment, Jesus continues to this father's house. And this girl, she's laying down on the bed. And Jesus, first, don't miss this, he kicks the flute players out of the house. Interesting, I know. But he turns to this girl, and he says, get up. And this girl who had stopped breathing... This girl who the life had been sucked out of her. It had left. She gets up and she is alive. Now there are many, many books written about this scene that say, well, you know, she wasn't really dead. In fact, Jesus says she's not dead. She's sleeping. But no, this is resurrection. Resurrection. This is Jesus bringing life. This is Jesus bringing hope, being a light in the darkness, a light that no darkness can overcome. How do I say this is a resurrection story? Because when we talk about when we die, we don't die, we fall asleep in the Lord. Or if you go back to the Old Testament, if you go back to to Genesis, to the patriarchs, when someone goes to be with the Lord, they they go and they sleep with their fathers, right? We go and we wait with expectation to be woken up again. This is a story of resurrection. This is a story of hope. After this, instantly, Jesus leaves the house and two blind men show up and Jesus heals them and restores their sight. and He tells them, hey guys don't tell anybody, but they are so moved by being able to see they can't help themselves, and they go and they tell every single person they found, look what Jesus has done for me, and as they pass by, a guy who is mute shows up, and Jesus casts a demon from inside of him, and he's able to talk, and these guys are still going around and telling everybody that they can find, and the crowds, they hear, and they see, and they experience, and they want to come and have their own moments of hope their own miracle from Jesus and the crowd start gathering around group by group, people by people until Jesus is absolutely surrounded. Join me in 35. Let's put 35 up on the screen. Verse 35. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The vicar was here first service. Is the vicar still here? Or is he getting ready for the grove service? Is he still here? I see Pastor Kaiser alright, this will work alright in Greek, the word compassion is called asplaknitsthe asplaknitsthe, say that with me asplaknitsthe pastor Kaiser, the, 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 the ending there it's they, that would indicate correctly, if I'm not mistaken that means it's a passive Greek verb, uh, Greek verb, correct it's a passive form, thumbs up well, everybody, take note. He gave me a thumbs up. It is true. It is correct. A passive verb form. All right. Do I have any? Wait. You guys have a. You have a school here, right? Are there Are there teachers here from the school? No one wants to step up to the plate. All right. I, I got some. I got some. So, uh, verb forms. Uh, if, we, if we have English here, uh, active verb forms are verbs that we enact, that we perform, that we start. We, we activate the verb, perhaps, right? And so if, if everyone would put their hand up and I were to send them a high five, if I'm sending you a high five, I am doing an active verb form. I'm enacting it, it's starting, that's how that's happening. A passive verb form, a passive verb form is the high-five coming and smacking your hand. You're not doing anything. The verb comes to you. If you're, maybe if you're a grammar person, a, uh, a subject, perhaps, activates the verb and an object receives the verb. It's kind of how that breaks down. As uh, splotnitz they, compassion in Greek. It's an interesting verb. All the other verbs that Jesus performs in Matthew chapter 9, almost all of them are active verbs. He is enacting them. Compassion, it's passive. Just think about that just for a second. Jesus Christ, the one who has all authority on heaven and earth, the one who has all power in the universe, is passively compassionate. What does that mean? That the verb is happening to him. Jesus Christ is being overtaken by compassion. He's not the one acting it, it's consuming him. Compassion is the one that's driving Jesus on these crowds and on these people. The image that we use is that Jesus' heart is overflowing onto the people. That compassion has consumed Jesus and he becomes helpless. But to have mercy, to show love, to heal, to bring life to those who are crying and so desperately seeking their one chance, their one hope that he might heal them. We'll finish the chapter. And Jesus said to his disciples upon seeing them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I've been a pastor for about two and a half years, and that's not very long. Uh, I know there's pastors in this room who have been pastors much longer than that. But in those two and a half years, there is a, a very grave miscalculation that many of us have when reading this this one verse of Scripture. It's that when we think that we are to pray for for laborers to go out into the harvest field, we think that we are praying for pastors to go out into the harvest field. Or or we think that we're praying for other rostered workers to go out into the harvest field, be it DCEs, teachers, music ministers, whoever it might be, that, that we are praying for those people to go out into the mission field. It's one problem. Pastor, shepherd, or any equivalent to that word is not what is not what's used in scripture. It says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Or if you're more familiar with the NIV, to send out workers into the harvest field. Pastors are workers. Sean, Kaiser, myself, everybody who's who's pastor, Brad. We're workers. We're laborers. Pray for us to be sent out. Pray that you also would be sent out. You guys are equally as much laborers in the kingdom of God. It is also your calling to go out and to have compassion on those who have no hope. It's your job to go out and love those who are cast out to the edge of society. And by the way, as a, as a pastor, as a missionary at Franklin Avenue Mission, all of these people that we just went through in Matthew chapter 9, they're there. They are present. Every day we get to live and breathe Matthew chapter 9. When we talk about physical disability, that correlates so strongly with poverty. Same goes with blindness and deafness and any other disability that people have. Those groups just easily get cast aside into these impoverished neighborhoods. Just terrible. We have an opportunity to go and have compassion. When we talk about Jairus and his daughter who died, infant mortality and rape, over two times higher than the national average. I think it's 12 or 138 of every thousand children that are born don't live until the age of one. We have an opportunity to go and have compassion. We have an opportunity to take that light of Jesus into those communities. We have an opportunity to go and catechize those who think, Based on what they've been taught by other pastors. This and that and the other. About what it means to be a Christian. We have the opportunity to go and point everyone. And even ourselves to Jesus Christ. Who not just poured out compassion on all of us. But very physically poured himself out. For you and for me. That we would know for sure. That you and I have the hope of the resurrection, that you and I have the promise of forgiveness, that you and I know that we are called by name to be children of God. And so I have a challenge for you. If we're praying out for workers to go out into the harvest field, I'm talking praying for workers tonight to go out into the harvest field. St. Lawrence has been really, really helpful when we did Tuesdays and Thursdays with the Rock Room, which was our kids program. If you were ever involved with that, or if you, if you want an opportunity to come and serve on Sunday, Sunday nights, church starts at 4 o'clock at Franklin Avenue Mission in the afternoon evening. I have 15 kids who for the past month have been coming to the mission without their parents. They come because they want to be part of the community. That's 15 kids. Fifteen kids without their parents. If that sounds like sheep without a shepherd, probably is. I've had kids as young as 18 months come without their parents because their older sister is the one raising them. I'm looking for three workers tonight. Maybe it's you. It can be high school, it can be retiree, it can be anyone in between. If you want to come into the mission field with me this evening, I'm going to be down here up front. Or actually, no, I'm going to be out by this door over here. Come talk to me. We'll run background checks. We'll do whatever needs to be done to make sure you are able to do this. But the harvest, it's plentiful. It's there. The work is there, but the laborers are few. And even if the laborers are few, I guarantee, if you come with me tonight, the Lord will be with us. Amen? Amen. And may that peace which surpasses all understanding bless and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.